back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with episode 46. Or is it 47? It's 47. Had to do dramatic pause. I didn't look at the title of the book before I checked. That's why, people, you always come to your pods prepared, just like we do here on the Brothers Book Club podcast. It is episode 47. We are continuing our review series, and these are when we review Penguin's Little Black Classics collection. That is a collection of 80 pieces of world literature that are kind of taken in miniature. They're about 50 to 60 pages. And yeah, it's episode and review episode 47. Joining me today on the pod is our guest of honor, guest emeritus, Amanda. Hello. Hey, I like that as your intro, you know, it's casual, <laughs> it's fun, it gets the party atmosphere going, which is just yeah. what we need. Nice. Yep. Makes us feel in a, in a nice warm comfort zone, which is how we want you, the listener, to feel as we're talking about these classics. Today we have uh, quite a unique entry, Amanda and I just briefly discussed it a second ago before we hit record. It is among the things we've read so far, probably one of the more unique entries, which will lead to some, I think, interesting conversation about the nature of it and and what it's like. It was a, It's a diary or a journal by Pepys. I think that's what we've agreed on for pronunciation. Yeah, I think so. Samuel Pepys. Um, I kind of want to say Pepi, but he's English, so we can't do any fun French stuff. <laughs> can't do, can't add any flair. Let's just go with Pepys. It seems yeah. right. And this is a diary that he kept in the 1600s, though his diary, I looked this up on Wikipedia. He also, quick aside, had one of the longer Wikipedia entries we've seen so far, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and the journal, or not the journal entry, the Wikipedia entry about his journal was extremely long. I think his uh, journal ended up being over a million words that they have recorded from him. So it's Jeez. considered like it's considered this monumental text in terms of noting the events and the lifestyle of people in 1600s England because I think he kept it for like 50 years or something. Yeah, he was like really protective over it and he knew that right. it, he was like saving it for future generations. So Yeah, real historical document here. And so that's what we'll be reviewing today. The two entries of his journal that Penguin has selected to print here for the Little Black Classics are one of them is kind of about the plague when the plague comes to London. And then the other one, as the title is about, is the Great Fire of London. And that was in 1666, I believe. So those are the two journal entries or or kind of like chunks of time that we'll be covering today. Um, Amanda, why don't you start us off with our one sentence simile reviews? What did you think of this? What was reading it like? So I said that reading it is like watching a movie that rolls credits at the beginning with absolutely no visuals mm. until the very first piece of like significant dialogue. So you just mm-hmm. want to fast forward until you get to the actual story. So reading yeah. it was just so much just stuff. And then I was just struggling at first and then finally with the fire of london london entries i was like oh okay here we go this is this is this is what i wanted (laughs) yeah yeah i think and it's that's an interesting comparison too because that technique has basically died in movies now i mean it's like generally been accepted for when do you think that changed maybe the 80s or 90s i feel like probably like late 90s because i can remember some films like when I was watching VHS that would have that right, just right. the long credits. <laughs> and I can even, I'll say the only film franchise or even films consistently that do it now are the James Bond ones. And even then they try and put in there, they do a song and they'll do, you know, there's like dancers or something. And there's right. kind of these stylized uh, graphics that run. And even during those, I'm like, let's just get on with it. I, even yeah. those aren't enough to like keep my attention or to, 
intrigue or engage me. I guess you could argue they're kind of like a tone piece or like a setting, but it still doesn't work for me. I'd rather just yeah. begin the film. My comparison or my simile, uh, one sentence review, is that it was kind of like a, and it's a simple comparison, but it's kind of just like a cross time, uh, cross temporal handshake. It, at least that's how it felt to me, or maybe like a high five. It kind of was just like a, just a bit of a check-in. We're recording this in April of 2020, so we're in a kind of a quarantine situation, coronavirus quarantine. And granted, I think that's a bit of a dramatic comparison maybe, given that there's a plague in London, which they knew far less about, and right. this fire burns down like a significant portion of their like downtown. So, you know, comparison one-to-one, whatever, might not be perfect, but I think there's certain rhythms in the, in this diary, and there are topics that are discussed that felt sympathetic, just kind of mm-hmm. the rhythms of his life and the way he goes about a couple of things, and um, it could be in some of the mannerisms. We'll get into some of the specifics, but it did feel just kind of like a, or like a, you know, a, a friendly head nod, uh, just an acknowledgement way. And so I think, yeah, I was thinking like cross time handshake would be just kind of like a little sign of respect, I guess, of just kind of like, oh shit, you guys too, huh? Okay. And then, you know, <laughs> we'll keep things moving. Um, so I think that was my comparison. I like the idea of uh, a cross temporal high five because i pepis is kind of like a bit of a bro so (laughs) definitely (laughs) yeah yeah. for sure (laughs) if there i'm well you know i'm sure we'll talk about this in the review to a degree Uh, but if you were going to yeah drop in and out cultural people or references across time like if we dropped him into today i think a bro would be a pretty good like he's like a high achieving <laughs> fraternity guy like yeah that does he did definitely seem to have that energy pretty consistently in a, in a lot of different ways actually so yeah. i think that that comparison is pretty apt so yeah let's um <laughs> let's tweak it and change it to the high five i think that's way more <laughs> fitting and uh with that said are there any other connections to make to this text? We, we do like to make connections at the front of every review just to try and make it relatable to a current reader and try and make the case that you should maybe read a classic. Was there any topic in here that jumped out at you other than, I know I just mentioned the plague. I guess I kind of spoiled that. No. Yeah. Well, th- there was the plague, there was the war, the, the second Anglo Dutch war. And then there was the, the, the tragedy, which is the fire of London. And I was just, what struck me was that, you know, we've gone through those times in our lifetime where we had nine 11, we've got um, COVID-19 going on now. And then we've also got like war. Yeah. I mean, always. So yeah, that went on for about a decade there and debatably <laughs> yeah. is still going on, I suppose. Depends on yeah. your definitions of these things. Exactly. And it's, what what struck me was that, yeah, like that's all stuff that we can all relate to. But I was in particular interested in how in his diary, like the plague barely gets much mention. He just kind of like fleetingly right. will say something like, oh, yeah, well, I noticed that this dude's got the cross on his door. How bad for him? I'm kind of a little worried mm-hmm. that maybe it's getting worse. And then with the war, I mean, the only thing we get with the war is that he is actually like directly in the war in as much as like, he's the administrator of the Navy. He's a middle manager. Yeah. So he's like, he, you would think that there would be a lot more information about like what's going on with the actual war, but like we, we only get like numbers and, and money accounting and like how it personally affects his political ambitions and stuff. So, but then once you read the tragedy, the, uh, the fire of London one, that one was actually, 
like interesting where he, you actually see some of his um, emotion and, and how he deals with that. So I was just thinking as I was reading it to come back around to that, um, whether that is something that as, as people, if it doesn't like directly affect us in that way, do we take a more like standoffish uh, look at things? So like 9-11, everybody felt that, right? That tragedy, like the fire of London, everybody felt that everybody was talking about it, even right, if yeah. you were not actually in any of those places. But then with COVID-19, people kind of like brush it off, even like it, we're in the midst of it right now, right? And people are protesting right. like the stay-at-home orders and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But but they're not like it, it's not directly affecting them. So they're not like having that same reaction as like the tragedies, right? And then with yeah, the yeah. wars, we don't really get that same reaction either. So I'm just wondering like if that's just a human Response. It does kind of have the, a dualism to it that you're describing that yeah. I guess I, I hadn't put it in those terms or hadn't thought about it in those terms, but that's, I, I would say it's pretty clearly reflected in the text. He does have this kind of uh, duality of reactions about him and the way he describes certain events versus others. I think mm -hmm. it's, gosh, we do try and stray from current events on the pod. I mean, to a degree or political things, but we can jump into the 9-11 comparison, for example, because mm -hmm. this has come up. Um, just in the news, the reactions people have, there is an immediacy to seeing death versus like just reading the statistics of it or whatever. Right. I guess I find that, I don't know, I find that reaction still, I, I don't think that comparison fully holds though, because all you have to do is like Google a little to read like people's accounts of hospitals currently or to read people who have survived it or read about people whose uh, significant others have died. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, there's just something about an explosion that I, people react to more immediately, I guess. I don't know. It's been very weird watching people like this denialism about COVID-19 stuff going around and people not having a strong reaction, even though it's killed so many more people. I don't It's it's very strange. It, it, I think part of it is a visual thing though. Like people just right. have such a visceral reaction to a visual, like something exploding versus mm -hmm. just a slow creeping number of people who slowly die in private hospital beds over a long period of time. Like I, right. I guess there's just not a visual to put with that. Or I guess those people aren't moved by like freezer trucks in, in New York hospitals, like filling with dead people. Cause they have to like mm -hmm. buy trucks cause their morgue is overrun. Like, I guess, I mean, even that visual, I guess just isn't enough or isn't the same. It's not as visceral and violent, uh, directly yeah. violent, I guess. I don't know. There's definitely something to that though. And in this text that is certainly emphasized. I, I won't say much more than in terms of connections. I think those are among the best connections I did write down. I thought his attitude throughout is kind of a connection as well or at least this is maybe personal to me and granted everyone's reactions to the current quarantine stuff can be, there's a, such a huge spectrum uh, and I respect it all. Mine has been pretty, not as doom and gloomy. It's more of just like, let's just get the fuck on with it then. Like tell me what to do and I'll do it kind of a head down. Right. I don't know. I guess maybe I just might reflect my attitude to, to a few things in life. Um, not that I haven't had my anxious or like depressed moments in this time, but it, he is, does come across as pretty businesslike, which can seem, I guess, callous at times, um, to some of the events and like the plague, especially you're right. doesn't seem to rattle him much. Mm -hmm. Then again, the new, the amount of news he was privy to and the science of it in 1600, like, I don't know if he would have had the knowledge to be stressed <laughs> other right. than just like, no, oh, we got to, I'm not going to go by that neighbor's house or whatever. So yeah. yeah, no, I think, I think you did hit on the perfect, there's like a duality to it that I think is pretty fascinating. Um, 
why don't we jump into some quotes then? We've already kind of gotten pretty specific about the way this was written, the style of it. Uh, do you want to start us off today with a quote? Anything you think that would be edifying for the listeners to know about this uh, Great Fire in London? Sure. Um, so it is a diary, and that means that yeah. he's got his own like shorthand and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, I have a couple of quotes. One of them um, is about his style and, and like I, I after reading this diary I just realized how much I do appreciate language so diaries and mm-hmm. journals where yeah. it's not meant to entertain kills me so that said mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the uh, the, the May 2nd, 1665 uh, journal entry, it says, up into the office all day, where sat late, and then to the office again, and by and by, Sir W. Batten and my lady and my wife and I, by appointment yesterday, my lady Penn failed us, who ought to have been with us, to the Rainish Wine House at the Steel Yard, and there eat a couple of lobsters and some prawns, and pretty merry, especially to see us four together, while my wife and my lady did never intend to ever to be together again after a year's distance between one another. That mm-hmm. was one sentence. Yeah, it was. It's true. I'm looking right at it. I can see the punctuation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was one gigantic sentence that just like listed what was happening, which is, I guess, like what you would expect from a journal entry. So if you're going to read this and expect like, I don't know, like Shakespeare or something, you're not going to get it. Um, it is a diary. Right, right. Um, so don't come to it looking for style. Um, and another thing was he mentioned like that there was maybe some like beef going on between his wife and uh, the lady Batten because they said right, that they right. intend never to be together after a year's distance. So I was just like, Ooh, that's kind of interesting. But then there's like no other mention of it. So I don't know, but that could have maybe been mentioned earlier in one of his earlier entries, but it, it should have at least so. included like an annotation or something like yeah. to explain that. It's a collection that would do with some academic annotating, I think. But I think yeah. you also, though, and I'm going to point out something in the middle of that quote you pulled too, to, to just for to clarify what I enjoyed about it. Cause I think you nailed the the style it has. And th- this was a word that Wikipedia used. I looked it up in the literary dictionary and I couldn't find it. So who knows the validity, but apparently it was written in this, this specific type of shorthand that was like popularized in 1600s for like diary and journal writing, which apparently was like, that was when it really hit a boom in yeah. just the history of English language. <laughs> like before that, there weren't as many people writing journals or they they're probably just lost. But at any rate, so it was kind of like the style of the time for this particular genre of writing. And yeah, it's very workmanlike writing. It's like in no way, there's very little rhetorical expansion. Um, Just in the middle of that, though, there's the bit about the lobsters and prawns. Something Mm -hmm. about, and this I think has to do with the time period too. Something about the, the year and the distance, that kind of stuff just gripped me and the, the commonalities of it. Every one that came up, I found myself fascinated by, but it is a total historical angle and not at all a literary one. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to become clear is that as a historical document, I was in, very engaged and enjoyed it kind of immensely at times. But then you're completely right. I, there were such lulls in the writing, but it's it does kind of get you, if you can get into its rhythm, if you can let yourself succumb to the, like the odd choppy style of it at times. And like the, as you note in another quote too, the repetitive nature, I yeah. think it's it's pretty rich, but it, 
it just depends on what you're wanting to get out of it. Like to me in that whole sentence you read, which again was a really good one to pull just that bit in the middle of like, Oh, these guys were just going to like munch on some lobsters, huh? Like 400 years ago. I don't know. Something <laughs> about that. Just, especially since we know it's a primary source and it's just like that direct, I find really fascinating. Like I, there's something about primary source documents like that, that jump out to me. If I read that sentence in a textbook or if I, if I read in a textbook, like in the 1600s in London, prawns were a popular lunch. I'd be like, ah, I would never remember that. But something yeah. about it just in co- being encompassed or incorporated in a sentence like that just grips me, um, which I guess could be the primary source aspect. There were also, let me tack on this quote while we're doing them. There was this quote that I think is the exact same thing I just described, but in much, I thought a much funnier example. Mm-hmm. And it was from page 11. He said in the diary, thence home and to see my lady pen, where my wife and I were shown a fine rarity of fishes kept in a glass of water that will live so forever, and finely marked they are being foreign, so to supper at home and to bed. Which, the conclusion language there is, he ends almost every j- journal entry like that, where he just, <laughs> yeah. and again, that, that's the kind of repetitive uh, nature of the, the genre that I think, yeah, if you're a reader who's like, I have to listen to this guy say, I went to bed at the end of every entry it's like yeah i mean that's he he's it's very factual and it's very meticulous and detailed and uh, again you can tell that a majority of it was not written for entertainment but just hearing him in this 400 year old voice or i know that's not the right number i'm just rounding but in mm-hmm. this very old writing voice remark on the like the interest he had in an aquarium and he didn't even have a word for it you know there wasn't even a word he <laughs> could use I just was so engaged and enraptured by that. I thought it was like kind of charming and it's amusing and it makes for this like funny compare and contrast. I think it does almost become about, I don't know, like treasure hunting in a way where you're just like, where, when's the next nugget of like his weird life going to come up or when am I going to get a snippet of his day to day that isn't repetitive? Cause I think you, again, I completely agree with you. He does repeat like the financial stuff about his business or the fact that he, writes letters frequently and he's just like, oh, and then I wrote letters for six hours, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. And it's pretty repetitive. I don't know. There was a comforting rhythm to that. I thought. Mm-hmm. I like the way that you, uh, you read that then like, cause I didn't approach it that way at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah, I, yeah. Should have, I guess looked at it from a more historical perspective and, and the appreciation um, from history rather than, from literature, a literary perspective. Well, and let's take a look too, though, because I think, and there's also very little emotion in it, which is why in the connection, I thought the attitude, again, to me, I I thought the attitude came across as like even keel again, maybe to the point of callousness, but Mm -hmm. he does have these small enough moments where I, I didn't come away from it thinking he was some, you know, cold bastard or whatever. I, the, the quote I pulled, I'll read this one now from, um, what was this page from 38? He says, this night, Mrs. Turner, who poor woman was removing her goods all this day, good goods into the garden and knew not how to dispose of them. And her husband supped with my wife and I at the at night in the office upon a shoulder of mutton from the cooks without any napkin or anything in a sad manner, but were merry. Only now and then walking to the garden, we saw horribly or how horribly the sky looks. It looks just as if it was at us and the whole heaven on fire. Now, that's probably the most favorable quote I could pull from the entire collection. I don't know what you think of it, but mm-hmm. there's a couple. Of, so it's got some things in there working, I think, in the literary way. The whole heaven on fire is, is, you know, you got a striking image and it's like pretty intense. Granted, could he play it up? You know, the city's burning down a bit more. Yeah. And so, again, it's clearly not the most literary thing, but it has that little, at least a little bit in there. 
And then yeah. I just love the the um they're eating this shoulder of mutton together in an unceremonious way. And then I just really love the phrase in a sad manner, but we're merry, which I think yeah. is just a, a succinct summary of times of that nature of these kind of uh, ca- catastrophe times where you just have small human moments. And then within that, you just get these little this moment of bliss, even though it's kind of sloppy and you're just kind of making do. And he does express that, you know, he's like, oh, who poor woman. But I think that quote is about as emotional and rhetorical as it gets in the whole collection. I think, yeah, it's what I think I found the most engaging about it. But those moments are not, it's not the entire text. Yeah, that's a great quote. And definitely the best writing that we see comes from um, that time period when he's writing in 1666 during the fire. Mm -hmm. Like the the repetitiveness and, and the listing is like, killer it's just uh in the first yeah it's a lot first ones but then once i got to the the fire of london i was just like oh my gosh this is like i hate to say it but it's like refreshing it was it was what i was wanting to see in um in the writing and and we also get more of like a clearer idea of who he is as a person he's not some cold-hearted dude who's only into money but he does feel for his neighbors and he does feel um, for his city. Um, so yeah, and I right. also pulled another quote um, where we get a little bit more of a glimpse into who he is as a person. And he's got like a pretty good sense of humor, actually, and he's pretty self-aware and, mm-hmm. and he, he knows his faults and his failings. Uh, so <laughs> this is from um, the May 5th, 1665 entry. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife, a very beautiful woman who showed me much variety of admirable work and is in order to my having of some papers fitted with his lines for my use for tables and the like. I know not whether I was more pleased with the thing or that I was showed it by her, but resolved I am to have some made. So he's like, he's like, yeah, "Yeah, she's really hot. And yeah, I got totally taken in. I don't know whether I'm buying this stuff because I think she's hot or if like I actually want this stuff, but (laughs) I couldn't tell too. Is that? Is he talking about like literally she's producing lined paper for him or is he talking about like poetry or something? What I think it was like mean? the that was a, a reference, I think, to a writer. Yeah. So a Scrivener and okay. his wife. OK, so she's just going to give him some like pu- she's publishing something for him that her yeah. husband made or something. Yeah, okay. something like that. Yeah. I remember circling that just thinking like, could it be so literal as to being like since there, there wasn't like a probably a consistent, you know, paper press company that he's just like, I just want you to line some paper sheets for me or something. I, yeah. I just wasn't sure if it was that <laughs> literal, but that makes, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. It, it does reflect too. I think that quote's another good one to show. And again, it's like, I just think, yeah, I think we've struck upon it. It's how do you want to engage with that quote? Like I read that and just the historicity of it and thinking like, what, what was the day to day or what is this? And it, there's more of that than the emotional side or, or just the personality side. Like he doesn't, his personality does not pop in this. That's for right. sure. Like his life does his, his routine does, but I, I, you certainly don't get some kind of deep characterization. So I think, yeah, maybe it's a matter of expectations or just what you enjoy reading too. It could just, of course, come down to something as simple as that. And I think that quote also shows it because I'm reading that thinking, you know, I get to that papers moment and I think those things or Mm -hmm. you could think about, yeah, how he just he's goofing on, you know, this like, ah, well, you know, I was attracted to her. It's fine. I'll give her some money. Um, (laughs) 
I forgot to mention this in the connections, though. By this point, the listener, you've, you've probably inferred. Um, you're a sharp bunch out there. I bet you've inferred this. But this guy is kind of like an upper middle class, if not just like a rich guy. Like he, yeah. I think in in the, the moments that become the least relatable. But also, again, I found it like fascinating and kind of hilarious during the fire when he's like trying to arrange people to like move his gold for him. He's like trying and, to get his set up make- watch. <laughs> yeah, he's like making sure his he's like hoarding his possessions. And again, I maybe it's the distance to me that makes this okay. Like if somebody wrote that article today and was like, here's my coronavirus pandemic bunker and I'm a billionaire. I mean, holy shit. My reaction to that would be quite negative. <laughs> I, it would be uh, intensely in the negative. But for some reason, reading about it this far removed, I just find it like kind of goofy, charming lightly relatable i guess in the hoarder like doomsday prepper sense though he's not he's not really acting in that way but there's just these light connections to human behavior you see that are just kind of like oh look at this like mediocre middle manager type guy that's like naval not even an officer right he's just kind of like some operator guy yeah um yeah i think too the final quote i'll I'll mention here um and then i'll toss it over to you but was about these more slice of life and observational things, which I agree. I wish there were more of it Uh, on 42 during the fire. He says it was pretty to see how hard the women did work in the canals sweeping of water, but then they would scold for drink and be as drunk as devils. I saw good butts of sugar broke open in the street and people go and take handfuls out and put it into beer and drink it. I mean, it's just, you know, hilarious. People are just getting sloshed while having to clean up this massive <laughs> fucking devastating fire that like destroys half of their city or whatever. And I, yeah. you know, he doesn't, he doesn't comment on too much. There's not really a morality commentary there about how drunk they're getting. He, it's a little neutral. I, and I think granted it's not meant to be observational of the happenings of the city. So I think when those things came, I guess I just relish them even more because it really is just observing the basic day to day kind of just functions of his life. I guess this is another way to put it too, and I, um, this can be another connection, I guess, to our quarantine lifestyle. But uh, I felt kind of bad because my family's really upped the communication during the time this time, which is, I mean, that's what everyone should be doing, you know, stay in right. touch with your loved ones. But my reaction to it has been a little cold, and I've been trying to be better about it. It's just my day to day life is just not interesting. So I just don't. I, I feel like a daily check in, or you know, every couple days, like it just doesn't. My life doesn't warrant that. <laughs> That's kind of my, which again is maybe a cold reaction. But it, it's just like I don't know what you want me to say. I you know I read a couple books today. I did my usual routines and uh, made this food, and and so I guess he is um, chronicling that stuff. And he doesn't leave out a lot of the boring stuff. It would be how mm-hmm. I kind of feel now about like, do you really want to know what I did today? Like I, nothing that interesting. I mean, I, we could talk about it. Um, so anyway, I don't want to sound too callous myself, but I think part of that just felt relatable to me. Where it was just kind of like, let's keep the routine going. Let's grind through this. Um, again, he's dealing with these kind of bougie problems, moving his gold and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you had that reaction. And again, to get back to the quote, because I tan- I know I went on a tangent there for a bit, but the quote, I think more observational, like if he felt it his duty to chronicle the times and just like get out there and see things, I feel like it would have ma- I feel like anyone would find this fascinating. It's just right. pretty clear that he didn't want to do that. The moments yeah. he did, though, I think are like really interesting and kind of funny. Yeah, th- those were definitely the best parts of his writing. Yeah. And also when yeah, he gets the most creative with his writing, we see some like some similes, some metaphors and stuff like that in, in descriptive language, but only when he's like also 
those slice of life life moments or when he's getting emotional about something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I just wonder, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm doing the thing where I'm inserting myself again and wondering how I would write it. But if someone charged me to write a daily journal currently, I don't know. I wouldn't want to read it in 400 years. Uh, maybe I, if I went to like a hospital to intern right now, I'm sure I'd have like the most fascinating things to think about. And it would be really emotional and devastating. But right. as it is in my current state, where it's just like, I don't think anyone wants to read my coronavirus diaries like at all. I, there's <laughs> I, maybe not, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I saw um, there was a Twitter kind of thread floating around earlier today that I saw and I think God, where was it? Anyway, somebody wrote an article about all the people writing articles about leaving New York. Like, oh, I feel bad because I left New York and I'm living in Connecticut right now or I went home to New Jersey or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the article that the person wrote or that their kind of essay was like, stop writing those. No one cares. Like, we get it. You have another home you can go to in the country. Like, fine. But we don't. who cares? And I kind of I feel that way, too. Where I'm just like, I don't need to hear your story about how you got to live this, leave the city to go live in the country now. Like, I don't care. <laughs> it's just, we, we get it. We're all just trying to survive and like doing the most logical thing we can do at the time and right. just trying to make sensible decisions or whatever. So yeah. that, that's another kind of light connection I, I found to it. I'm not sure how you feel about it all. Do you, are you keeping a coronavirus diary? Is your no, life interesting? I, I hate writing in diaries and journals and things like that. I ah, just, yeah, it's not my thing. I'm I'm actually like working on my mom bought me this um like prompt journal to to write in sure. so that I can give it to my kids. Um Okay. when they're grown up and they can like it's all about like what it's like to be a mom. So okay. each prompt yeah, is yeah. like, "Oh, well, what are you proud of your daughter or your kid about today?" and stuff like that. And I and I'm I'm like 2 months behind because I just hate having to sit down and right. like chronicle my thoughts in that way. Like it's just it's not for me. Yeah. Is it just me or has has the just complete advent uh or proliferation of extremely good and accessible photography killed it for us? Like I don't take a ton of pictures on my phone, but I chronicle my life throughout the year enough. And at the end of every year, this has become like a habit in the last five years. I like dump all my photos from my phone onto my like external hard drive or whatever, like put them in the cloud. Yeah. And I, I actually do go back and browse through those folders like, I don't know, once a year, every six months. Like I do go back and be like, oh, yeah, that oh, that vacation or that thing. And so I just feel like that's overtaken it. I don't, I don't know yeah. if I could... I guess the again, if I were to write a journal or diary now, it would it would be for the literary part, but then it's like the, for an audience of me, like no, I'm not gonna. Why would I put my energies into that? Right. And yeah. So I'm not gonna I, go back I'm and reread my journal. So I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, never. Unless you're like an essayist, right? Like David Sedaris, who so. keeps journals every day. I mean, but yeah. you know, if I were to get into a literary career, it would not be through personal essay writing. I, I don't think, or, or especially yeah. like diary writing or whatever. I just. I don't know. My life is too mundane in a way that I, you know, maybe pleases me. I don't know. I'm content. <laughs> Any other quotes from this um, from this text that we want to get into? Nah, I'm good. Okay, let's move to the literary corner then. This is when we try and educate you, the listener, on a literary aspect of this text. I saw that you did not put anything in. Does that mean you want to jump on mine? Yep. That Excellent. is exactly what okay. it means. <laughs> yeah, touche. And I think that you're smart to do it because there's really only one thing to say. And yeah. for the Penguin Literary Dictionary, I chose diaries and journals, which they do have in there. 
Uh, let's read a quote from their d- literary definition here. It says, diaries and journals can be roughly divided into two categories, the intimate and the anecdotal. Into the second category comes uh, pepices or pepices? Diary? Jeez, I don't, yeah, yeah pep- pepices. Um, they, they didn't name drop his, by the way. That's not a, I didn't write that in. That's Penguin named his in the anecdotal category. <laughs> nice. It seems that, yeah, I know. It seems that keeping a diary became habitual in the 17th century, though one may assume that there are similar records from earlier times which have been lost. Most of the works mentioned have not been by poets, novelists, or dramatists, though some have been, and the records, um, we, we may call them occasional writers. In France, the habit, especially among writers of keeping diaries, journals, and notebooks, is deeply ingrained. So I think it, this was a cultural thing in England at the time. And mm-hmm. again, the Pepys diaries are, I guess, like legendary in the in the historical and literary sense. It's apparently some like really important text. They named in the, um, to be clear, in the Penguin definition, they did name like dozens of other ones. But I did notice that they mentioned his for the anecdotal kind. Did you find his mostly anecdotal then? Do you agree with him? I, uh, I definitely think that it was more anecdotal than intimate because when we I think an yeah. intimate diary or journal is is about their particular thoughts, right? It's their philosophies. It's um, their ideas that they're expressing, right? Right. Versus the anecdotal, which is, I think, what they mean by that is not necessarily that he's just going around telling anecdotes, but that it's like his actual day-to-day like activities versus right. thoughts. Yeah. yeah, I think so, they sure. completely <laughs> nailed that categorization. I, I, when I saw that, I nodded, uh, ag- aggressively nodded and was like, yeah, that's, that is, his is definitely not intimate almost at all. <laughs> yeah. Apparently yeah, think, though, like, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it in any of um, the journal entries that I read, but like he does talk about his uh, sexual conquests and uses like yeah. French and, and other language to kind of write about it and he apparently gets into some into the nitty-gritty of it sometimes <laughs> sure no and it, and there were hints enough i think you pulled a great quote for that there are hints enough when he is commenting on you know this a beautiful woman or this you know person that um and apparently his his housekeeper or something was yeah. someone he was involved <laughs> with i didn't see any hints of the housekeeper stuff in this but the, there were definitely enough comments um in, in a journal that had not much commentary that I think, you know, I'm sure that there are some entries in the million plus words he wrote that, yeah, I'm sure get pretty intense. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I guess given that dichotomy or that kind of like divide there that Penguin def- gives and defines, I think if you know, it's again, anecdotal going in, you know, set the right expectations, you'll get the right result, so to speak. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, kind of, you just have to know that going in, it's not going to be, it's not the diary of Anne Frank, right? Which is like a properly right. lauded thing for a completely opposite reason. Like, I, historically speaking, she she was party to like one of the most important events to chronicle, but like she wasn't out in the streets like chronicling rebellion or even the can't, like it was her, her, her anecdotal view is like very narrow, but I guess that makes it fascinating. His right. anecdotal view is much broader. He's like, I'm involved in this war. Oh, there's a plague. Oh, there's a fire. And he's like seeing it all. So it's, it's just very different ways of, yeah, of having a diary. So in that way, it's like an interesting contrast. Yeah. Let's end the review with the review. Before that, we'll do the Russell French In Memoriam, What's Good About It segment. Amanda, let's start with you. What did you find that was good about reading this? Um, I enjoyed actually his little snippets of humor and his apparent self-awareness of his faults and Mm -hmm. kind of like his humor with that. And I also enjoyed um, the Fire of London entries where he actually 
gives us some description of what he's actually seeing. And we also get the emotional aspect. So in some ways he, you could see glimpses of, oh, that's, that's a pretty good piece of writing there versus where it's just a list of activities. Yeah. I think, yeah, those moments shine through, but they're not as many as we'd probably like. I'm going to highlight for the what's good about it segment. The time traveling aspect I think is good. Like it, if you're just curious about the the lifestyles and daily routines or happenings of a person in his economic situation, social status, yada, yada, I think there's a bit of kind of mystery to that then. It, it did keep me reading just to wonder what other observation could come up that would make me, you know, raise an eyebrow or chuckle. I think having that like fish tank one early on kind of did pique mm-hmm. my interest in a way where I was like, oh, what else is he going to, are there any other like unique things or oddities that he'll comment on? And I was hoping maybe for more food commentary, um, to be honest, because he often just says, like, I supped or I dined with them. And I was like, oh, man, give me more of the like he mentions mutton. But I was kind of curious about what other kinds of foods. But anyway, I th- it did have that kind of it inspired that a little bit of investigative feeling in me, I think, where I was just kind of like, oh, what, you know, what other commentary are we going to get or yeah. other observations? Why don't you review it for us first, then, Amanda? What's the rating on this one? A one would be do not read this. Avoid it. Two means maybe read it qualified. Three means you must read this. What do you got? So I gave it a two. Originally, I was going to give it a one, mm-hmm. but that's because I hadn't gotten to the Fire of London stuff. Um, but again, okay, yeah. I was Which coming over at half. It. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, no, I was just to give it a first half. half. Like, there was like 20 in mine. There was like 20 ish pages of the other stuff and then about 30 of the Fire of London. Right. So the, those first 20 pages I was I mean I had to keep like walking away from it I was like really struggling Mm -hmm. um but I gave it a two because of the fire of uh London pieces where you actually do get um like I was talking about with the language and stuff but again I was looking at it from from a literary perspective not from a historical perspective and I had read as I was reading I was looking it up and and it was talking about the the importance like historically uh why it's so important and i just history was not actually one of my favorite subjects i was into math and english those were my two so (laughs) i was i was not as interested i think that if he would have given more information about the the war and like what was actually going on with the plague i would have been a lot more interested in the first half yeah. And the, if you went in or, or if the war aspects intrigued you, man, that stuff is kind of a letdown because he's you can tell he's yeah. so far removed, obviously, just the way communication was information gathering like he just he's like, I think the ships are here. They may have fought yesterday. I don't really know. I mean, it's he's so far away from it that I you're definitely not going to get much out of that. It's again, though, yeah. unless you're intrigued by like how a person who's not fighting a war but is paying for it would think about that war. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, I think you can, yeah, talk yourself into that if you're interested. Yeah, was, I am going I to concur with also, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I also thought it was interesting um, that he made a, a comment about like, oh, we just got the news that we won the war, right? That uh, yeah, our yeah. ships like won. And then he's like, but I don't right. know if that's actually trustworthy. So I was just immediately, what came to mind was fake news. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah. even I mean, then they letters. couldn't trust everything that the government said. Or, you know? Well, and then he does adjust the numbers. He's like, I think we, we lost 500, but they lost 3,000. And then later he's like, oh, they lost 700 and we lost two. Yeah. Again, though, even just describing that, I'm reminded that it intrigued me. Like, I, mm-hmm. even you saying that, again, I can 
I can hear how boring that is, and I can't deny that I thought that was interesting. Like just the the fog of war of it, the the cloudiness. Like mm-hmm. we just don't we don't live in that world at all. Like not nearly as much. I mean, that information to us these days will get transmitted and corrected so quickly that right. it's like you know astonishing. Um, and so. I, yeah, even as we're talking about it, I still think those I alluded to, I think I'm going to concur with the two. Yeah. It's a strong two for me. I did, as you probably have heard throughout the pod, I've talked uh, over my share here, but I did enjoy it, I think, maybe a lot more than you. To me, I will not deny, though, that there were lulls and there were moments when I straight up glazed over a paragraph and then had to reread it because my attention just went away. Yeah. And th- the writing style, I think it's inherent in it. You can't write in such a factual, repetitive manner without losing me a little. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many, there's so many like, ver- I guess you'd say like verbal ticks or um, writing ticks in it that you have to get used to. The shorthand he uses, the names he drops constantly. There's, yeah, there's things to kind of work out. I just, I don't know, something about a firsthand account, a primary source like this that is as readable as this, you know, it's not quite that like, it's not, um, God, I was about to, I was about to say something really old. I was trying to think of what are those like very early, the Hammurabi codes, you know, it's not like reading, uh, yeah. it's not like reading something that's been triply translated like that. That's like 10,000 years old or whatever. And so it felt, I don't know, I felt a weird connection to it in a sense, in a very familiar way with the writing. Were you, I know that your major was English, but did you also, I yeah. thought that you did something else like with either history or was it political and science? And to out myself, I, it was political science. You got it. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, but those were my, I did end up with two majors and that was, yeah, it was political science and English lit was the other. Yeah. So yes, I, perhaps it's that part of me that finds it so intriguing. I also used up all my electives in college um, on history classes actually. So that was, yeah, that, that was like a a third interest of mine, kind of like a tertiary interest in, in school. I would say that was probably my third favorite type of class maybe. In fact, no, I, by the end of it, I would say my poli-sci classes, except for the theory ones that I didn't like hardly any of those anymore. Maybe eh, some of the international ones or whatever, but um, yeah, no, by the end of it, it was like the lit classes. And then I had a couple philosophy and history ones I really loved, but I I don't even know if most of the poli-sci ones would rank a couple of them, but yeah, not all of them. So that's, yeah, I think maybe my background informs that a bit. Yeah. Well, any final words on the Fire London before we close out today, Amanda? Uh, Nope, I'm good. Okay. A great Fire of London and a great pod, though again, a little Travis heavy on this one, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to, I'm happy to carry the flag when, uh, when you're not as into the book as me. I was kind of hoping you would go one in the end. I I wanted a little bit more division between us, but that's okay. You and I are conscientious readers. We're on the same wavelength and that makes it good too. Yeah. All right, folks. Until next time, we will see you between the classics. 